Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Is your business to know about the law and how it's affecting every aspect of your life? Is your business to know about what's happening that's really important in the media front, particularly as it relates to the law? And so that's why I'm really excited about uh, John O'Connor joining our uh, media team here. Uh, he'll be doing uh, reoccurring commentaries on business, the law, the political front, and the media. And we're delighted to have him join us. Uh, he's distinguished in uh, the legal profession. Uh, he is an experienced trial lawyer practicing law in San Francisco since the early 70s. And he has tried cases in state and federal courts throughout the country. He served as an assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California, representing the United States in both criminal and civil cases. But he may be best known for his work as the attorney of Mark Felt, whom most of you know as Deep Throat in the uh, Watergate uh, situation. And uh, he became very familiar with the role of the Washington Post in Watergate in his representation of Mark Felt. And so uh, he brings a lot of experience. He also wrote briefs regarding uh, Patty Hearst, the United States versus Patty Hearst, and really had himself involved in some of the biggest lawsuits of the uh, 20th century, representing the uh, federal government uh, in the vast majority of those cases. So we're delighted to have him. He's going to be bringing his interesting insights uh, every other week here on the Price of Business show. You can learn more about him and his work at postgatebook.com. That's postgatebook.com. And that's the name of uh, the, the book that uh, he talks about most often. It relates to media, Postgate. And again, that's postgatebook.com. All right, with that, John O'Connor. Thanks, Kevin. The Price of Business has asked me to comment on the recent search warrant executed against ex-President Trump. It is not an overstatement to say that the world was stunned when 30 FBI agents recently raided at dawn the home of Donald and Melania Trump in Palm Beach, Florida, specifically at their Mar-a-Lago mansion. Most Americans like the idea that past presidents are shown respect for their service and do not like attempts by opposing politicians to blacken their names once out of office. So... When the country learned that these agents invaded the Trump home in the early morning, went through the First Lady's clothes, seemed to take every document in sight, the initial reaction was largely negative toward the FBI and the Justice Department. Subsequent reports said that Trump's lawyers were not allowed in the home to observe the actions of the agents. While some have justified this by fear that they would interfere with the collection of documents, in fact, Trump's lawyers had entertained Justice Department investigators on three previous occasions in April, May, and June of this year for lengthy sessions discussing issues professionally. Was it really feared that these lawyers would overcome 30 agents, some in tactical gear? Of course not. The FBI did not want witnesses to observe what they were doing, so they intimidated them without basis into not observing. This is witness intimidation. Can you say obstruction? Quickly, Attorney General Merrick Garland justified this invasion on the basis of the continued possession by Trump of documents Garland claimed were of national security importance, including documents dealing with nuclear issues. But that justification does not explain the excessive use of government power and seeming abuse of a citizen, in this case the ex-president. 
In fact, it is the written policy of the Department of Justice that documents are to be pursued by the government in the least intrusive method possible. The least intrusive method is always voluntary cooperation, in which the Trump camp had been participants. When, during the voluntary process, there is disagreement, the least intrusive method then becomes the subpoena process. In fact, the Justice Department did issue a subpoena, which Attorney General Garland touted as being the least intrusive process. Mr. Garland, however, may have omitted a key detail in this statement, an omission rendering his statement essentially untrue. Part of the subpoena process is to move in court to enforce the subpoena when the parties disagree about compliance. Here, the Trump camp delivered documents to the Justice Department in response to the subpoena. The Justice Department disagreed that there had been full compliance, but rather than simply moving in court to enforce the subpoena, it obtained and executed a search warrant far broader than just for classified documents. It sought all documents in any box that contained a classified document, and all documents in boxes in the same room, even if not claiming classified documents. So if there were two inches of classified papers, this search warrant sought 360 inches in 20 separate bankers' boxes. Why would the Justice Department execute such a broad search warrant? Likely because it was not interested in the few classified documents still remaining in the 20 bankers' boxes. How can we be fairly certain that they were not interested in classified documents? Because they could have had these through one staff lawyer's simple motion to enforce the subpoena rather than a nine-hour, 30-agent raid. But, of course, this process would have yielded at most one or two inches of the classified documents, not the 360 inches of documents contained in the 20 bankers' boxes. If the real target was not, quote, nuclear, unquote, documents, as purported, what was it that caused the Department of Justice to go to such trouble to get the 20 boxes? The alleged national security documents were only an excuse to grab that which otherwise is lawfully Trump's. These non-classified documents are in fact likely Trump's sole property under law. For 200 years, presidents claimed ownership of anything they deemed presidential papers. And indeed, ex-presidents traditionally willed these papers to their heirs or created trust for them. And to this day, their heirs cherish and protect them. The Presidential Records Act of 1978 was passed providing that now presidential papers were owned by the government to be curated by the National Archives. This law was passed specifically to prevent Richard Nixon from destroying certain White House tapes of which he had the sole and only copies. But the act provided that it does not apply to extra copies of any documents, otherwise presidential papers. Since in the normal course of business in the 21st century, multiple copies are the norm even of top-secret documents, it is highly likely to certain that all non-classified documents are Trump's property. So why would the Biden administration want them so much, especially if there are other copies around? Because Trump likely kept documents on scandalous matters involving his political enemies. These areas could and likely did involve Russiagate, but also likely involve proof of Biden family corruption in China and Ukraine. As to the re remaining few straggling classified documents, do we really think they were key to our national security, justifying this extraordinary raid? After all, routine defense information is commonly classified, even though known to anyone in the world. But even if a document is important, 
the president, while in office, can declassify anything he wishes. So while not enough information has been released as to this issue, it is likely that the retrieval of claimedly classified documents were the true cause of this extraordinary display. It is not likely.